Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Once upon a time, a long time ago, okay, it was mid-October, but anyway, once upon a time, a long time ago, in a far, far away place known as St. Paul, I was caught outside in a sudden rainstorm. There'd been no sign that rain was coming, but over the course of just a few minutes, these big black clouds all rolled in and just unleashed and dumped buckets of rain, and I was soaked. It took hours to dry off. Too bad I didn't have my trusty umbrella with me that day. Now, I have a story for you today, and you have two parts in it. So the first one is this. Whenever I say the word boom, I need you to shout boom as loud as you can. So let's practice. Boom. Okay. All right. One practice will do. And there will be times when I say the word sanctuary, and whenever you hear the word sanctuary, I want you to quietly say the word sanctuary. Let's practice that one. Sanctuary. Oh, no, no. Sanctuary. Ah, there we go. You're good at loud. (laughs) All right, we got it. So once upon a time, there was a kid just like you are now or like you once were, who was also caught outside in a rainstorm. He ran inside to the nearest store, very good idea, which I should have thought of, to wait out the rain. As soon as he closed the door, a bright flash and a loud boom of thunder followed. (laughs) Cannot trick you. Okay. The kid knew that he would be stuck in that store for quite a while. He started to look around at some of the different items in the store when the shopkeeper appeared. Now, the shopkeeper was the oldest woman the boy had ever seen. (laughs) Her hair was as white as the snow and her face all wrinkly. The boy was brave enough to admit that he was a little scared. Young man, said the old shopkeep, can I help you with something? The boy pointed outside, afraid to speak. Ah, nodded the shopkeep. Did you run in here to escape the rain? The kid nodded slowly as another boom (laughs) of thunder shook the store. Well, you can wait here if you'd like in my little sanctuary. We've got a nice sturdy roof over our heads and it will keep you safe and dry. The boy appreciated the offer, but he really needed to get back outside and continue on his way. The old shopkeep could tell he was hesitating. Or, she continued, you could head back outside with this. She went behind the counter, and what did she get? An umbrella. That's right. Take this umbrella, said the old shopkeep. I don't know why it's raining, but I know that you can keep dry under this portable sanctuary. The boy beamed, but then stopped in his tracks. Oh, but I don't have any money, he said. The old shopkeep waved him off. No worries, child. Just be sure to offer the umbrella to someone else when they need it. And so the boy accepted her generosity, headed back outside, opened up his umbrella, 
and went on his way. The boy was safe and dry. He was making his way down the street perfectly happy when he saw a person wearing a suit trying to keep dry with a newspaper over their head. There was another loud boom. And the newspaper began to fall apart under the heavy rain. The boy held the umbrella high to protect the grown-up. Thank you, they said. Remembering the words from the old shopkeep, the boy said, I don't know why it's raining, but I do know you can keep dry with me under this portable sanctuary. The grown-up smiled in relief. She had been having a really bad day. See, she was wearing her nice business clothes because she was on her way to a job interview. She'd been without work for a long, long time and was desperate. She had to walk to the interview because she couldn't afford a car. And when it started to rain, she cursed her luck. She would show up to this really important job interview soaked, and she knew she would make a really bad first impression. Just then, the boy spotted his family in the store across the street. Here, he said, take the umbrella with you. I see my family right over there across the street. Oh, oh, I couldn't take your umbrella, said the grown-up. No, take it. Just be sure to offer the umbrella to someone else when they need it. And the boy put the umbrella into her hands and ran off to meet her family. The woman couldn't believe how nice the little boy was. She knew she had to hurry, though, because it was almost time for her very important interview and another boom of thunder (laughs) caused her to get going. Well, I can tell you that she got that job she was interviewing for. (laughs) And soon enough, she was able to afford to buy a few umbrellas of her own. Whenever it would rain, she would bring not only the umbrella that the boy had given her, but also two more umbrellas to give away to people who were stuck outside in the rain. And every time she gave away an umbrella, she would say, I don't know why it's raining, but I do know that you can keep dry under this portable sanctuary. And soon, everyone in their town had an umbrella that they would take with them when they were out and about. And if the townspeople passed by someone without an umbrella... They would give up their own umbrella and pass on the words, now known by the entire town. I don't know why it's raining, but I do know that you can keep dry under this portable sanctuary. Everyone in the town was prepared to share an umbrella. Everyone in the town was safe and dry. And everyone in the town felt very glad to live there in that very special place where sanctuary was something they gave and received with generosity and joy whenever it was needed. Sanctuary.
Every year on June 10th, Javier Zamora, the poet who penned our reading this morning, wakes up and plans a hike along the California coast, the way he has ever since he could drive. And on this particular day of the year, he takes time to reflect on another year living in the United States, another year without returning to his home country of El Salvador, a country he left as a boy in 1999 to migrate here to be with his parents. And the last few years, he's taken to posting something like this on Facebook when June 10th rolls around. Today, X number of years ago, I crossed the border when I was nine years old, when I ran into a small white van with 30 others. No seats, only red shades. I waited with a 12-year-old girl and her mom at the side door as the men piled in. We waited until the end to jump on top of everyone, just like the coyote said, so we wouldn't end up getting crushed. My body was so tired from heat exposure, I passed out immediately. As is painfully clear right now, migrants from Central America continue to make the dangerous journey to the United States. People who have endured years of economic instability, joblessness, violence perpetrated by their government, by our government, patterns of domestic abuse, gang violence, people who need to move to a safer place, people who need sanctuary. Sanctuary, which comes from the Latin sanctus, meaning holy, a place of refuge and safety. Sanctuary retains this sense of sacred wholeness and integration being able to safely show up in the fullness of your humanity. The New York Times reports that there are four distinct caravans of migrants with as many as 10,000 members set out for the United States. In a conference call through the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee this past week, a staffer from the American Friends Service Committee reported that it was more like eight groups totaling near 17,000 people. However you count it up, there is an exodus in process. One could say an event of biblical proportions. And in this narrative, the United States is framed as the promised land, as a place of salvation and liberation. So what has the promised land been up to? Here's what I know. Since the 1960s, it's been getting involved in Central American civil wars, supporting military juntas through funds, arms, and intelligence, contributing to cycles of poverty and violence that destabilize the region, and then making it very difficult and often impossible for the people who are suffering the consequences to receive asylum in the United States. 
The current administration is talking about forcing asylum seekers to remain in Mexico while the U.S. processes their claims. This could easily take years. Talking about threatening to cut foreign aid to these Central American countries, which would further exacerbate the problems that are generating this exodus in the first place. It is approaching desperate people as armed adversaries who merit a militarized response. These words from the Reverend Elizabeth Wynne. Remember that governments betray. And many have gone before us who know how this goes. Listen to them. Remember that we can't heal white supremacy or white Christian nationalism today or tomorrow, but we can touch some healing, some justice, every day, every moment. Raise money for a bond or a bail. Go with someone to court. Tell the truth about your family and how they migrated or were forced to or did not. Remember that we answer to the laws of love and justice. Tell the truth about our family and how they migrated or were forced to or did not. Wynne frames this truth-telling as an act that leads towards healing and justice. And we all have a history. My mother's family comes from migrants, Germans and other Western Europeans who migrated to Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and farmed land that belonged to Native people. The one specific thing we do talk about is that my great-grandmother came over from Germany in 1890 because her father wanted to avoid military conscription. And then we don't talk about anything else very far back, mostly because we don't know about it. It's a history forgotten through the generations. And this is my work to do, to recover this history. But by not knowing, I don't have to engage with the oppression that resulted from my ancestors' actions, except with this ambiguous kind of shame that goes nowhere. I also can't locate and connect with the struggle and tenacity of my people. This all quietly and firmly enables the illusion that I am innocent and that I am from here and other people are not. My father's parents were both Jewish migrants who at the end of the 1930s fled their respective countries, Germany and Poland, and headed to British-occupied Palestine, to the Holy Land, because they feared for their lives as they felt the rise of Hitler's power. Their history is also the complex history of Zionism, the movement of Jewish people creating a home and a state on land to which many people lay historical and ancestral claim. My grandmother left Poland and entered Palestine with the help of a forged marriage certificate that married her to a stranger named Moshe. And Moshe ended up being her first husband and their fake marriage became a real one. 
and they found sanctuary in each other. They found safety and protection in each other, and they made a family. So to be totally clear, I come from people who migrated because they were not safe in their country, and they defied the law in order to do so. The migrant and the resident, the occupier and the persecuted, the provider of sanctuary, the recipient of sanctuary, the destroyer of sanctuary, they all live within me. They are all my people. Like many of us, there is nothing about my story that is pure, clean-handed, or uncomplicated. I wonder, what is the story of your people? For some of us, we come from this very land. And for some of us, our story contains the not knowing that is part of our adoption story, or part of our story of estrangement from our family. But claiming and sharing our story of place and migration dismantles the us and them narrative that fuels American bigotry, isolationism, and dehumanizing immigration policy. And this is an act of resistance in this era of fake news and propaganda an act that can open our hearts to the practice of sanctuary. And sanctuary is this, it's a practice. It's not just a place out there. It is something that we give for, to one another and we do for one another. It can be a matter of life, death, and physical needs, a place to be safe, a place to get fed, a place to be warm and dry. But sanctuary can also be emotional, a place to be heard, a place to safely lay down our feelings and be vulnerable and real. Sanctuary is a core spiritual practice for us as a people who see the inherent worth and dignity of every human being and that interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. And it's something we do in big, life-saving ways and in humble, commonplace ways. And oftentimes, we offer each other sanctuary in simple gestures that end up meaning the world. For example, and this is a thing on a whole other scale of sanctuary, I left a friend of mine a really long voicemail the other day. The kind of voicemail where the voicemail robot voice breaks in to tell you that your time is up and you hear yourself say out loud, uh, that's what you think. And then you hang up and you just call right back because you are not finished with your voicemail. <laughs> and I had to finish up my story in a second voicemail because I wasn't done describing the way that I was feeling like a total idiot. Earlier that day, I found myself in the middle of one of those situations where I felt like I was probably holding it together pretty well on the outside, but inside I felt massively inadequate. I felt embarrassed, I felt desperate. And then I had a meeting to head into. 
and I found myself stuck with all these feelings that I hated, and I had to get them off of my chest somehow, so I picked up the phone. And this friend and I have created a tradition over the years of leaving each other long diary entry messages filled with all of the confessions and frustrations and disappointments and insecurities that you have got to leave somewhere because you cannot carry them around with you. And this practice developed kind of organically as we both started new professional chapters together. We both started families around the same time. And when we would actually get on the phone with each other and have a conversation, for a long time, I would apologize for my previous voicemail. Apologize because it was really long, I was taking up a lot of space, it was very indulgent and self-focused, and she was burdened with hearing all of my negative self-talk. And my friend responded each time, oh no, I loved your voicemail. Please keep calling. I love hearing your humanity. I love hearing that I'm not the only person who thinks these kind of thoughts and has these kind of struggles. Javier Zamora, the Salvadoran poet we've been traveling with through this sermon, he writes about a moment of finding emotional sanctuary with his mother. He's an only child and his mother and father emigrated to the United States before he did, and he stayed back with extended family in El Salvador. And then he made the journey to join them at the age of nine, and he thought he was going to make a 24-hour journey accompanied by his grandfather, but it ended up being a two-week-long journey alone in the desert. And years later, he's reunited with his family. They're living together in California. And his mother asks him to listen to a song that she plays for the kids that she nannies. Two-year-old Mackenzie, who was born on Javier Zamora's birthday, and four-year-old Cameron, who was born on his mother's birthday. And for his mother, she is a believer in signs and in numbers. And so this birthday coincidence is no coincidence. And one day they're sitting in a car parked in the driveway and his mother says, I don't know about this song, it always gets me. Every time the instructor plays it, I cry. Really, he asks. Yes, and I told the instructor this and she said, I'm not the only one. So as a nanny, Zamora's mother goes to a music class that's supposed to help babies' speech development through repetition and rhythms, and it's mostly nannies in the class with these kids. And it turns out that the repetition of this song ends up tapping into healing and integration for his mother, too. She plays the song for her son in the car, and they couldn't hold back the tears. They held each other inside her car as if it were a crib, as if the lyrics were about them. Lou, 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 don't you cry. Mama won't go away. She says, I'm sorry for leaving you. I didn't know better. If I could, I would take it all back. And Zamora writes, 
I felt her facing her guilt of leaving me. I felt myself let go of another kernel of resentment I have towards her, toward my father, toward the coyotes, toward all of those along the way, and toward myself. Not because I don't understand the reasons why she left or why things happened the way they did, but because my body hasn't learned to let go of all of it. Because my brain hasn't let go of some details, even if my brain hides those details from me. My mother said, I wish I could have taken you to those music classes to hold you, to sing to you like I do to these kids. You can sing to me now, Mom. You can sing to me now. And so she began to sing. Music heals. Art heals. Naming your experience heals. Confession heals. And in the midst of all the chaos and fear and tension on our southern border, this too is happening. Activate Labs is one of the nonprofits on the border right now, a nonprofit that is receiving support from our Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. And they've set up rapid response creative trauma healing spaces in the migrant shelters of Mexico City and invite adults and children alike into creating art, singing karaoke, calling home to family members, and painting banners that will be brought to Washington, D.C. to advocate for policy reform. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I heard about this work, my very first impulse was being dismissive of what it meant to bring arts and song into a shelter like this, into a sanctuary like this. I was so focused on food and water and other basic human needs, which obviously are important, but it was so powerful to hear from people who had experienced this ministry talk about how they felt a sense of belonging again after being so alienated from their humanity uh, in the deepest ways that this created a sanctuary of wholeness, a place that said, you belong again. So in this season of the longest night, knowing that the light will find its way back, in this season of remembering that a child born to travelers without shelter in the desert grew to be a great teacher of love and justice, in the season of the miracle of one night's worth of oil, lasting eight nights, we are called to be a people of sanctuary, and we will not turn away. Being a people of sanctuary can look like protest, it can look like calling elected officials, accompanying someone through something difficult, creating space for healing song and artistry, listening with an open heart, taking one of our Soul Matters packets and doing the spiritual practice this month. And if there is any way that you can stay at church for an extra hour or 90 minutes today and come to the Sanctuary and Resistance Learning Session at 1 p.m. in the Cummins Room, this is such 
an amazing, connected, energized group of people, and you will be so glad that you came. And this is really the core of who we are as a church community, being sanctuary for each other, for ourselves, in all the physical and spiritual and emotional ways. And every Sunday, when we repeat and affirm in here that everyone is whole and holy, we create a sanctuary that names everyone as worthy. So now is the time to live into it in all the ways we can. Let's commit ourselves to making sanctuary our practice, offering each other refuge, receiving refuge, channeling our sorrow, our grief, and our outrage into manifesting sanctuary and participating in sanctuary. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.